Pastor, according to the Doe of the Dawn, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised to abhor the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prospects of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. He shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your perfect word. My words are not perfect, but you have given us a word that is, and so Lord, would you teach us? Help for us to have eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, and for those who are downcast, Lord, draw near to them. May these words be a comfort to them and a balm to their soul. And Lord, above all, may we see you and 
glorify you for you are great and worthy of our praise. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would do these things among us this morning. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. This morning's psalm opens with these familiar words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Most of us know these words well, but most likely this string of words is most familiar to us, not because David penned them here in this psalm. Rather, we are most familiar with these words because these were Jesus' words when he prayed from the cross to his father who was far from him. You remember the scene about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, leme shabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know a lot about this scene when Jesus quoted these words there at the cross, but we can't know the same, can't quite say the same about the, the context of this morning's psalm. We know David was going through a dark trial when men sought to kill him, but we can only speculate further what that trial was. Here in Psalm 22, perhaps this was written when, when David was on the run from King Saul. Or maybe, too, he wrote this when he was on the run from his own son Absalom, who sought to kill him. And while we can't be certain, though, about the psalm's context, this ambiguity actually serves us a, a purpose as well. For thousands of years... The ambiguity serves to be God's people's prayer in their hour of anguish. You see, this psalm, and all the psalms for that matter, were, were songs that were sung by the congregation of Israel. But these songs were much more than a memorable tune. For thousands of years, the, the psalms have given God's people words and language to pray. And such was the case when our Lord quoted these words from the cross. So as we go through the psalm this morning, I want us to learn how to pray like David did when we too might experience our dark hours of anguish. And this is a long psalm, to be sure, longer than most of the ones that we've gone through so far this summer. And so to help us, I want us to see the structure of the psalm. There's three main parts to this psalm that we'll walk through. And if we can get a big idea of these three parts, I think it'll help us as we move through this rather quickly. The first part is in verses 1 through 10. And, and what we're going to see is David has a conflict inside of himself. Here in these verses, David introduces his troubles, but more than just this, we hear David is conflicted between what he feels about God and what he knows about God. And so here, David will waver back and forth between his miserable condition that he felt and God's kindness that he knows. And then in verses 11 through 21, we'll hear David's complaint. Here in these verses, David is no longer wrestling, but instead he gives out his complaint to the Lord and lays it out plain. But he does so in a poetic way so that we might see the vividness of his trial. And he'll do so in two main ways. He'll first describe the troubles that are near to him, and then he will cry out to his God who is far from him. 
And this leads to the third section where we will hear David's commendation. Commendation is just another word that means to praise someone for what they have done. So at the end of verse 21 and then on following through 22, we will see the, sh the shift take place where lament gives way to praise. So now that we get a sense as to where this psalm is going, let us start at the top of this psalm. Look at verses 1 through 10 and consider David's conflict. David begins to describe this internal conflict that's going on. And throughout these verses, pay attention to the four sudden shifts that take place where he wavers between what he feels about God and what he knows about God. Starting in verse one, he says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? David's prayer doesn't begin with a request, nor does he start by giving praise to God for his goodness. But instead, David's prayer begins by describing his confusion. Psalm 22 shows David to be a man who is perplexed by the mystery of God's failure to act on his behalf. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you hear the tensions in these words? He, he started his prayer saying, not just God, hear me, but he says, my God. God belongs to David and David belongs to God. And yet he is perplexed because this covenant keeping God does not seem to have kept his covenant. For David does not know where God is. And so he cries out to him wondering where he is. And he continues, why are you so far from saving me? from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. So does God answer prayer? But some of us feel that way sometimes. I wonder if we feel like when we pray, our prayers go up into nothing. David certainly feels this way because God isn't answering David's prayers. And notice that David, though, he, he doesn't just give a short prayer. This isn't a prayer that just is prayed once. This is a, a persistent prayer, crying by day and by night. But David has received no answer from God, nor any rest. So I wonder how many of us feel like God has forsaken us this morning. Earlier, we were singing about God's faithfulness to us when we sang that he will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. And yet some of us might have a hard time singing these words because we would rather sing with David, God, why have you forsaken me? Because we do not feel the love of God this morning, perhaps. God does not seem to be near to us, but instead we might feel like evil has overtaken us altogether. If that's how you feel today, well, then imitate David's prayer just as your Lord did in his hour of anguish. Pray to your God, for he is your God. He belongs to you and you belong to him. And furthermore, whether we feel downcast or not, we should pray with persistence. We live in a world that gives us all kinds of instant gratification. If we have a question, the answer lies shortly behind when we go to the internet and our smartphones and type in the question and get our answers in, in a matter of seconds. 
If we need something for our home, we can have it shipped to our front door within 24 hours. If we want to rent a movie, we don't even need to leave our house anymore. We just pull open one of the dozen streaming services and it goes right to our TV. We are certainly not known for our patience and our persistence these days. But we must learn from David how to be patient and persistent in prayer. And so if you feel abandoned by your God, and if you feel like he does not hear your prayers, whatever you do, do not stop praying. But instead, continue to call on him as your God. But don't even stop there. David certainly didn't. David will go on to preach to himself even in his prayer. Notice the wrestling and conflict that he feels within himself as he continues in verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Here is the first time we see the conflict that's going on in David's prayer. Verse 1 and 2, he felt one way about God. He thinks that God has forsaken him and that his prayers are not heard by God. But immediately after this pessimistic feeling of David in God's absence, he goes to what he knows about God. David said that God's holiness is enthroned on the praises of Israel. In other words, David goes back to the very songs that his people sang when they spoke about God's holy conduct and character that was unlike any other. These songs described God's faithful character to deliver his people from their trials. He recounts them, and you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. And so the logic follows. If, if God delivered David's fathers before him, then certainly his God will deliver him as well. To you they cried and they were rescued. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. So David, here he's crying out to God. And so too he recounts that his own fathers, his people before him too, cried out to the Lord in their hour of anguish and God heard them and he came to them and he rescued them and he did not put them to shame. God delivered Israel in the past. Surely he will do the same for David and for you and for me when we need him as well. But David quickly returns back to his grief for he, he doesn't think that he is worth comparing to his fathers and to Israel, let alone any other man. Listen to how David puts it. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So God has delivered Israel in the past. David knows this, and he has recounted this, but David feels like less than a man, let alone one of God's people, for he calls himself a worm. He thinks himself to be a pathetic creature, that crawls in the dirt because he is despised by all people. They stuck their tongue out at David and they nodded their heads at David in disapproval. And so if men think so little of David, then why would his God think any different of him? But David is not done fighting for faith, for he goes back to war. 
Verse 9, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. David knows better to call, than to call himself a worm, for he is a man who is made in the very image of his God. And furthermore, the Lord has sustained David in the weakness of his infancy. It's an amazing thing to consider that a baby can survive through birth. They are so small and so fragile, and yet their life is created and sustained by our Father. God was faithful to David in the past when he was at his weakest, and so surely, too, God will sustain David and deliver him yet again when he is weak. And so are you downcast today? If you are, then, then hear the words of David and his prayer and learn to pray like him. Learn to go at war with yourself. Learn to call upon your God for deliverance and learn to be persistent and patient in your prayers. And if you are confused by God's silence, be encouraged by David's own perplexity as to the mystery of God's silence towards him. And if you remain thoroughly confused in your trials, and if the mystery of God's absence has your head spinning in circles, then do what David did. Go back to what you know about God. Go to God's unchanging attributes that he has revealed to us in his word. Go to these attributes by singing the songs that speak of God's holy character, singing songs of praise to our God, for doing so is a great weapon against Satan's schemes. But don't even stop there. Remember God's faithfulness to the generations in the past, just as David did as well. And the way we can do this is by going to those timeless stories that we heard about in the scriptures from our childhood. But don't even stop there. Continue by reading Christian biographies and hear about how God has answered the prayers of the saints throughout all generations. And do more as well. Talk to one another. Hear the testimony of God's people when they can recount God's faithfulness to them even in their own time of need. But again, don't even stop with just having conversations, but recount God's faithfulness to you as well in the past. Think about how God has revealed himself to you. Recount the joy of your salvation that you received when you first heard the gospel. Recount all the amazing ways in which God has provided you and, and sustained you throughout all your years of life. But even still, if you are just scratching your head thinking, I can think of nothing that the Lord has done, do what David did and go back to the very day of your birth and recognize that it was God who gave you life and sustained your life and who keeps you here today. Each and every one of us can at least do that much. Yes, God's ways can be mysterious, but his character does not change. So use what you know of God's character in your wrestling when you are perplexed by the mysteries of God. But whatever you do, do not listen to your heart David's feelings in this psalm are all over the place. His feelings, my feelings, your feelings as well, all make terrible counselors. And so trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
Learn from David. Learn how to fight for faith when you are afraid. And learn to pray with patience and perseverance. At this point, David transitions into the next section, laying out his complaint before God. He is done wrestling. He is done going back and forth between fear and faith. So he lays out his case before the Lord plainly. And before we dig into the section, we should recognize that David's complaint takes the form of a poetic description. So these encounters with David are not literal encounters. He uses word pictures to describe the power and violence of his enemies as well as his broken state. But before we listen to those poetic words, we can get the sense of what this entire section actually says just by looking at verse 11. So let us look closer at verse 11 and then we'll move quicker through the next 10 verses. He says, be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. So verse 11 is the counterpart to verse one. There at the top of the Psalm, you'll remember that David was perplexed because God was not with him. And here in verse 11, we hear David's first request to God. And that request is that God would not be far from him. And this request is important because there is something else that is near to him, and that is trouble. And so while trouble is near to him, God and his help is far away. And so David wishes this to be reversed by God drawing near to him to protect him from those troubles. And so listen in verses 12 through 18, as he further develops these troubles, and then verse 19 through 20, he will develop further the cry for help to the Lord who is far off. Picking up in verse 12, many bowls encompass me. Strong bowls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. At the start of the section, David describes his enemies. And these are poetic words. These are not to be taken literally, for he is using simile. And so if we ever are asked, do you take the Bible literally? We should say, yeah, I take the Bible literally when that's the author's intent. But when, when he's using poetic language, when you see the word like here, he's using poetic language. He's using a simile to, to describe his feelings and his enemies to that which we can understand if anyone's ever seen a roaring lion. This is what a simile is. Let me just read the definition for you. A simile is a figure of speech involving the comparison of one thing with a different kind used to make a description more emphatic or vivid. So hopefully we can understand what's going on here. This is poetic language for us to see just how violent his enemies are. And these are men, not animals. David continues to use this poetic imagery throughout the rest of this section. This time, he's going to focus on his poor estate, picking up in verse 15. I am poured out, here are the simile, like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is, here's another simile, like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up, here it is again, like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Again, just recognize this is figurative language here. But this poetry allows us to get a better sense of how desperate David's condition is. And then David, he returns to the subject of his enemies again with more vivid images. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. 
They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Remember from verse 11, David started by describing the troubles that are near to him, and that is what he has done so far in this section. But all of a sudden, in verse 19, he turns by crying out to his God who is far off, and he asks that the Lord would draw near to him. Listen to the language. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. David uses the same poetic images from earlier describing his enemies, but this time in reverse. He asks the Lord to deliver him from the sword, the dog, the lion, and the oxen. But we know better than to think that these are animals who are carrying swords, but rather these are men who are acting like beasts. And this is what sin does. Sin makes men do wicked and evil things that go completely against what is good and right and decent. So when we are afflicted by such enemies and by sin and the effect of sin, may we learn to go to our God in prayer just as David did. For those who say that they trust in God but then do not go to him in prayer, prove that their trust is in something altogether different. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Our God, he, he hears our prayers. And so do not let a day go by where you do not make your supplications and requests made known to him. And if you still doubt that he hears your prayers, well, then hear it from our Lord's mouth himself when he says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? David went on to call the Lord his God. But even here, we have a far more intimate relationship with God, for he is our father who knows how to give his children good gifts. And so if you lack the faith to, to go to God, and if you think he despises you, well, then know how a father treats his son. Even a sinful father knows how to give his children good gift. So our heavenly father certainly knows far better than any of us. But do you still doubt that God hears your prayers? Does praying feel like you are still beating at the wind? Well, then take comfort in knowing that David felt the same way when he wrote this psalm. For remember, he cried out to his God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. So by the looks of it, it would seem like God does not hear the prayers of his people. 
But as I said earlier, you cannot trust your feelings or even David's feelings in this moment of trouble. Because even in this psalm, there is an apparent contradiction that is going on. And if you haven't noticed the contradiction, let me point it out to you. Go back to verse 20 again and listen to him as he cries to his God for help. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Verse 20, I want you to notice the tense of what's going on here. This is in the, the present tense. Here and now, Lord, save me. And again in verse 21, it's the present tense. Here and now, Lord, save me from the mouth of the lion. But then in the second half of verse 21, there's something strange that happens. The tense suddenly shifts from the, the present tense to the past tense. He says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. It's as if in the midst of David's own prayers, God drew near to him and rescued him from the very troubles that he was crying out for help. And so this shifts us then into the next and final section of the psalm, verses 22 to 31, where we hear of David's commendation. Commendation is just that word. It means to praise, but it means more than that. Commendation means a public form of praise before others who need so that we can recognize what someone has done. And this is what David does for the remainder of this psalm. He gives public praise before the congregation of Israel so that they might know that they heard his prayers, that God heard the cries of David. And so listen again as we continue through verse 22 and onward and listen to the praise that he gives before the people of God. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So when God's when God answers our prayers, we ought to speak of it. We ought to tell others of the faithfulness of our God. And we ought to rejoice and be glad and sing loudly of his excellencies for what he has done. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, you, all you offspring of Israel. And so notice, it's not just David giving praise before the people, but as he stands before them and tells them of God's great work, he extols all of the congregation to give praise to God for what he has done. Praise does not just happen for David, but when he answers the prayer of one of his children, all of God's children give him praise. And what is it that God has done? Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Notice David has completely changed his tune. And so earlier said it, we said it, and I will say it again. Do not listen to your own heart. It is deceptive and wicked. But instead, look to the word of God and know that even when we feel alone, God gives us a better word and a better promise. For he has said that no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. In our Lord's final words, before he left the disciples, he said the same and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
And so when we face trials of various kinds, may we recognize with Paul that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. This is why even the very next psalm that comes after the psalm that we're reading today, after Psalm 22 comes Psalm 23, and in that very psalm, David pens these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Preach these words to yourself. I have, I think, Romans up there as well, Romans 8, and I'm going to just keep moving forward because we don't have time for it. But you should preach Romans 8 to yourself. For there is nothing, nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God. And so praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Praise the Lord here and now, just as David did when he was among the congregation of Israel. Picking up in verse 25, for you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And then the praise, it goes even out further than just the congregation. It's not just David. It's just not the people of God. But listen, as all the world praises God, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. All the people of the earth, David says, not just here and now, but both past, present, and future will give praises to our God because he has done it. So church, let the prayer and praise of David become your own prayer and praise as well. Pray like David in the dark hours of the night, for this has long been the prayer of those who have felt abandoned by God. Which brings us back to where we began. That of our own Lord's example when he prayed these same words in his darkest hour. But when Jesus prayed this prayer, there was far more going on than when David or when you or I pray these words. Let me explain. Hopefully by now we recognize that David spoke wrongly about the Lord, for he has not abandoned him or forsaken him. But in David's inaccurate words about God, we see something marvelous and tragic. For these were no mistake. God was carrying David along by the Spirit when he penned these words. And even though he was un inaccurate regarding his feelings about God, this poetic expression of his affliction serve a double purpose. You see, po David's poetic expression was also a prophetic enumeration of the cross of Christ. Let me explain what I mean. 
When I say this psalm is a prophetic enumeration, prophetic means David is describing something in the future that is yet to happen. And enumeration simply means to list something out one by one. David, he lived 1,000 years before Jesus was born. The psalm was written 1,000 years before Jesus hung on the cross. But when Jesus died at the cross, David's words appeared again. But this time they appeared not as words on a page, but as history that took place at Calvary. David wrote in verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Do you see it? Do you see your Savior treated like the worst of a criminal? The great I am treated like less than a man. David wrote again, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Do you see it? Do you see your Savior nailed to the cross? David wrote again, I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Do you see your Savior there on the tree? His flesh ripped off of his bones. His enemies staring and gloating over him outside of the city gates. David penned these words. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. But on that hill, history happened. And when they had crucified them, him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And again, David penned these words 1,000 years before Jesus took the cross. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and wag their heads. But on that hill... History happened, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. 1,000 years before Jesus took the cross, David penned these words, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. But on that hill, history actually happened. He trusts in the Lord. Let God deliver him now. For he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And yet again, David penned, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, leme shabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Make no mistake, when Jesus was quoting this psalm, this poem, this song, there was no poetic expression happening here. When Jesus cried out to the Father, he did not misspeak. He did not wrongly accuse God of having abandoned him. Jesus Christ on the tree drank the full cup of God's wrath. And so when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our Lord, who has always enjoyed the fellowship of the Father, was for the first time in all of history all alone. 
Does God's silence perplex you? Well, there is a greater mystery even yet. And that is that the sinless son of God was forsaken by his father who loved him. Behold your savior on the tree and praise him. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. Do you feel like God has forsaken you? Do you feel all alone? Well, then listen to the word of your God. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us lend with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So do you feel alone? Well, consider, hear, and believe these words. Jesus sympathizes with you in your suffering. He knows what it is like to be alone in that dark hour. But even more than this, know and recognize that you are not alone. For Jesus was forsaken by his father so that you would not be forsaken. So come near to the throne of grace with confidence. For he hears the cries of his people and he will give you grace and mercy in your time of need if you would simply come and ask so let us draw near to that throne of grace and prayer, and then may we sing praises to our God and our Father, for he has done it. Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you for this prayer that teaches us how to pray. And so, Lord, may we not trust our own hearts when we feel conflicted and torn about your promises. May we not listen to the words of Satan when he uses your promises as, as a way of ridicule, but instead may we cling ever so tightly to your perfect word of God and the promises that you have given us in our hours of need. But more than this, Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your son who took upon himself the full wrath that we deserved. So Lord, help us to look at him in awe and faith. And when we are weak, Lord, comfort us, we ask in your name. Amen.